Hello, and welcome to Things That Make You Go Woo. I'm your host, Emily Barnard, also known as Emily and Her Stars. I'm a medium, an astrologist, an Akashic Records reader, an artist, and an all-around just silly and curious gal. In this podcast, I'll be sharing the things and people I find fascinating, funny, and inspirational. Things that I hope will certainly make you go woo, too. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode. I am so excited today to have one of my favorite guests back. And ironically, I just had a guest back on my last episode and didn't plan it this way at all. (laughs) But Melinda, who was um, here before with her near-death experience, I'm welcoming back today because when we sort of sink into January and into sort of our resolutions. One thing that comes up over and over again is getting back in touch with your body and getting in touch with whatever goals you have for health and working out and how you are, what your relationships are with food. Because as we move through Sagittarius season, you know, ahead of Christmas, it's kind of an anything and everything goes. And we have so much fun with that. But we also realize when January comes, we have to rein it back in a little (laughs) and live in a little bit more centered and grounded way. And so for me, my relationship with food and with my body has, of course, been up many hills and many valleys. I have always been a bigger girl and I come from a long line of bigger girls. But I've also seen through the generations of women in my own family, the struggle they've had and the amount of time and energy they put into managing it and trying to feel like they fit into a society that wasn't built for us in a way. And I remember after my grandmother passed away, going into um, just some of the things she had in her basement. And one stack was literally nothing but tiny notebooks of everything she ate for days and days. And I made a decision at that point in my life that I was not going to shame myself or my body for what I am and how I'm built. And it's led me on an interesting journey because, of course, as I've become more aware of my intuition and my spirituality. I've also then had to lean into grounding myself and what does my vessel here on earth look like and how can I support it in meaningful and important ways. So that led me to a class that Melinda was offering about love your gut. And I was so intrigued, not only by the topic, but by some of the points that she brought up in this workshop, including not only does our intuition live in our gut, but the relationship we've we've had to sort of incorporate this into our day-to-day life based on knowledge and science and history that isn't necessarily rooted in today's science and history, right? We have these paradigms and ideas left over from the 17th and 18th century that have led into what our medical fields are now learning today in a new world and re-examining our relationship with our body and our gut. And so I am so excited that Melinda is here. (laughs) And I know I already said that, but I still am really excited. So Melinda, thank you so much for coming on today. 
I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me back. It's just such an honor. And this is such a good topic to have. This is such an important topic because you're right. This is that time of year when we're reconnecting with our gut and a lot of time, times old habits tend to come to fruition and old stories that we've been telling ourselves about our body type, our body style, and what we should and shouldn't put in our mouth is just really, it, it challenges us this time of year. Right. right and right. I just want to bring, bring a different perspective to how we connect with our guts and how we connect with our guts and our spirits through our guts and our entire body system. Um, we have this miraculous tube that goes from our mouth to our, well, you know, <laughs> our bottom, right? <laughs> right. And, um, you know, we, we, we don't, we just, we put things in it, we put food in it and we think about maybe, you know, what we're putting in it. And we don't think about the journey that it goes through to nourish our body. And the fact that this giant tube is a living, breathing environment. And in fact, it's even taller than our bodies. Our small intestine alone is three and a half, three and a half times taller than our actual height. Wow. So it's just, it's, there's so much, there's so much here. Right. So, okay. This idea that intuition lives in our gut. I mean, we've, we sort of get around the idea of, okay, we, our brain and our intuition is there. We also have intuition and knowledge in our heart. We're starting to, you know, scientifically understand that. What is some of the science behind this intuition living in our gut? Yeah. So our guts are primarily bacteria, some viruses, some fungi as well. It's a living environment and this bacteria is sending chemical signals all the time. So not only is a bacteria sending chemical signals all the time, and they also collaborate with these signals. And when they collaborate, they develop a quorum. They can either send a signal that something's not going so well, or something is really welcome and healthy. And in addition to that, we have nervous system in our gut. That is the same nervous system that we have actually in our brain and spine. So we've got the connection of the two right? We've got this living environment within us and we've got this nerve sensing system. That's the same as what we use to think through our entire day. And so we are thinking with our guts every single day. It, this is so off topic maybe, but it makes me think of that scene in men in black where he like opens the locker and there's like a whole city inside the locker. (laughs) Like there's so much going on inside of us, right? There's this whole other, I mean, I, I can't imagine the amount of information literally transpiring constantly in our gut that we aren't even aware of. So is this, is this passing to our brain? Is this passing to our organs? Where is this information going primarily? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the chemical signals are similar to any kind of chemical signal that will tell you, you know, your arm to move or your leg to move. Right. And so much of the bacteria that's within our gut is dependent upon what we eat, where we live, the variety in our diets, our cultural perspectives, our, the spices that we consume, all of these things create an environment within us that allow for diversity of bacteria to live within it. And depending upon the diversity of the bacteria and how they can communicate, they have different chemical signals, right? And 
it starts to create a home within us. Right. And then this home starts to, to get to know our body and it gets to know sort of like what makes us tick, like our cravings. Mm-hmm. And when we get hangry, like that is a real thing, right? Yeah. Oh, our yeah, microbacteria. <laughs> yes. They send these chemical signals and they tell us this is your mood now because you want something. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> that is real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's this unique environment within you that, um, it's just really, it's, it can be similar if within a family or within a family structure, but it's still very unique to your body and you can actually change it. You can actually damage it. You can just like any other type of bacteria. And coincidentally enough, of course, you know, as it breaks down the bacteria work to break down nutrients and nourish our body. Right. And it's the same way that a wetland works where it actually filters water for you, right? Our our wetlands are our natural living filters. And so we do this filtration process, we get our nutrients out of it. And at the same time, they're talking to each other and they're talking to us too. And they're telling us what they need. Okay. So if our bacteria landscape is based on not only necessarily our genetic makeup of our parents and our who, how our DNA got us to this point, but also where we live and what we eat culturally. How does that affect us? Because I've always wondered if it's healthier to eat the foods of your family, so to speak, or your the region that you're from versus eating incredibly diverse and eating things from all over the globe where your stomach might be. I don't know about this. <laughs> is, <laughs> well, there, the, is it better one way or the other? And, the, and that is so true, right? That's why when we travel to other regions, why our stomach is just not so happy. A lot of times right. we're being exposed to different types of bacteria that maybe the people who live there are very used to and live within their guts. And for us, it's sending the message. These chemical messengers are saying, we don't like this. And, you know, it can manifest in either mood. It can manifest in reduction in an immune system. You could catch a cold more easily. Um, and it can manifest in, you know, not so pleasant bathroom habits. Right. 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 And that's all just those messengers saying like, we're not used to this. You know, we're not sure about this person, this, ba- person, this, back- this bacteria <laughs> that's coming in. Right. <laughs> right. And um, because it's every, it, it is everywhere. And um, it's on a food, especially anything that's grown from the earth, which is what we should be eating. Right. Right. Um, ideally. And so it, it comes from the soil and, so it's, it's very fascinating because you can't necessarily say you should be eating X, Y, or Z. In fact, you shouldn't. Um, and I just should, but what you, what's better to look at it as is knowing your own intestinal clock and knowing your own intestinal habits. And so much of that is rooted in where we live. And so much of that is rooted in, in what we tend to eat. And in fact, there was a study done just a couple of years ago that there were differences in gut bacteria at sea level, even from altitude and urban environments from rural environments. Sure. And so what I found very fascinating was that, um, higher altitudes, in fact, do better with a little bit more meat in their diets and urban environment, uh, people living in urban environments actually do have, and when I say better, I mean more variety in gut bacteria actually do better with a vegetarian diet. How interesting. 
Yeah, it's fascinating. So, okay, let's say I lean into the intuition of my gut and it's like, you're hangry. (laughs) (laughs) And I say yes. And it says, okay, you really want an enchilada today. And I say, that's great. I'm going to give you a salad. So what does my stomach say with that? How much of what the intuitive hits I feel like my stomach is giving me are just bacteria that are saying, no, I want, I'm craving the cheese. I'm craving the carbs and the oils and the fats versus I'm just hungry. I really don't have an opinion. Just feed me. Oh man, is that such a good example? And there's a lot to that, right? I mean, because there's also old stories and beliefs about what you should be eating, right? And so that's where, okay, am I craving cheese because it makes me feel comfortable, which of course that comfort is a little bit of your body saying I'm satiated. I feel like I'm getting what I need. Right. Mm -hmm. And so maybe there's a calcium, you know, lacking component right in your body. Sure. And there's also this other side that, you know, we could overeat cheese. We could eat a, an entire bag of Cheetos and, you know, that's, that's probably going to send the signal to our gut bacteria that maybe, you know, maybe we're not really giving it what it needs. And I, I, I guess the, what the, what I would suggest is that each season, actually each month really just take a couple days and really tune into your intestinal clock and just try to, you know, if you feel that little character, that old story coming in to say, eh, pick a salad instead, just, just kind of tell her, you know, or him or that they just to come back later, you know, right now, I'm just going to tune in for a couple of days. And I say every month because it's so weather dependent. It's so seasonally dependent. And just allow yourself to connect back in with your gut and just write down, I'm craving this right now. I'm going to let myself have this. This is how I'm feeling and notice your mood and notice, um, how you're feeling, of course, as in your energy status, notice, um, whether or not you feel well. So if you're Mm -hmm. ill or you're feeling great, um, I, and just kind of take a couple days and just tune into it and let yourself have what you want. And then also make a note of those other stories, that other character that's telling you, eh, are you sure about that? And suggesting you in a different way, because you'll start to notice that you, you will have certain cravings at certain times of year. You will have certain cravings as your immune system responds to what it needs as it's exposed to other environments. You will have cravings, um, for nourishment, um, for nutritional deficiencies, things that you need. And the further and further and further away that we get from that with, um, when we layer it with eating expectations culturally, you know, in the sense that, you know, we have to go to a certain restaurant with our family or Or it's a birthday party or it's a, a, yes. Or diet culture, diet culture. I tell you that has just completely disconnected us from our intestinal clock and just made us into these robots that tell stories that don't actually connect back in with that gut. And by disconnecting with that gut, not only are we disconnecting from what we're eating and how we're nourishing ourselves. We're also disconnecting from our very intuition. That's telling us, you know, like 
what does your gut tell you? Should I take this job? Should I, you know, right. make this decision to buy a house? What is your gut telling you? We're disconnecting ourselves from that very knowledge. I think that's, that's profound. Um, you had mentioned at one point that just the timing of our meals, like this nine to five clock or, or even now, you know, you got to have breakfast at seven, you got to have lunch at noon and it's dinner at six. And it's very regimented, right? That's kind of our happy hours, the restaurants, everything is based around this clock. Yes. And the first time I let myself sort of step away from that in so many ways was really when I was able to work from home. And I would find myself booking calls or something through the lunch hour and my internal clock doesn't operate that way. I much prefer to have a later breakfast, have my biggest meal of the day around two or three in the afternoon, and then maybe something for dinner, maybe not, just depending on where I am also in my monthly cycle, because I have noticed even following that, that leading up to yes. bleeding, I'm ravenous, <laughs> right? You get this, yes. like, um, I seriously thought there was something wrong with me. Sometimes I get so hungry. But then after I start my bleeding, I would notice that my appetite was completely gone. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was little desire there to eat. And so I've allowed myself to sink into some of those and not feel the guilt on either side of that. Yes. But Absolutely. breaking these societal stereotypes of this eating on the clock, it's just, for me, I think that's the next biggest step in in our society as we grow is getting away from that idea. Because I remember my grandma commenting about how fast I would eat when I got home after school, like when I'd eat dinner and I would tell her, well, I had 10 minutes at school to eat lunch. Like you teach yourself these terrible habits based on mm -hmm. other people's clocks. Yes. Yes. And sort of this nine to five workday, right. was created in the twenties with like factory type working. It was actually a good thing, right? It was to keep people from not, not being abused at work and working 14, 16 hours, right? It was, here's your eight hours. This is what we're going to do. And then you'll have, you know, time in the morning, time at night. Right. And then we started to create a mealtime clock around that, right? So we'd have breakfast and then we'd get our, you know, our shift break at noon, right? And have our lunch. And then we'd be home at, at five. And then post-World War II, when the idea of what makes a good family and what makes a good wife and all of these perspectives started to come in, then it was really compounded with, you know, dinner on the table at five o'clock, this hot, delicious meal is a symbol of a good wife. It's a good home even the appliances created around that time, right? <laughs> right. Stove, the oven, the refrigerators <sighs> and freezers, all of these pieces around food and creation of food and having dinner on the table at five o'clock and pleasing your man and having a good, well-functioning home. This cemented in us here. We are 70 years later and yeah. we're still thinking about you know, okay, I got to have breakfast before nine. I got to have lunch at noon. I got to have dinner on the table. And yeah, yes. yes. This is not us. This is creation. This was, this was in TV shows. This was used by food companies to market food to us. This was used by appliance companies to market appliance to appliances <laughs> to us. This was even used in job promotions for, you know, the, the, the quote unquote husband at home. Right. Right. Even that it was 
having the boss over for dinner and creating this wonderful environment for him, right? Mm -hmm. Could get, you know, old hubby promoted at work. Right. It was so, it's, and it still is in our culture. It's changing now, of course, with us being more in a technological, you know, um, being at home a little more and being able to work from really anywhere. It's changing and we're starting to tap back into what it is that we want. Mm And yeah, this timing just is, has also kind of disconnected us from what we really need and what our intestinal clock is telling us because it is individual. And on top of that, this idea that we have to eat at the same time as others. Yes. That is, that is something we need to look at as well, because there are times where we need to eat alone or we prefer to eat alone, or we really want to have that um, mindful moment of food with ourselves and just really enjoy a meal by ourselves quietly. And then there's other times where we feel like a pack animal and we want to eat with everybody. Right. Right. And we want to have this big group of, you know, 20 people all around a dinner table, having a celebration and either way is okay. Either way is okay. We don't have to eat all at the same time. And if we choose to, we can have, we can share a meal together. That's beautiful. I think um, there's so much personal freedom to be explored in that. And also just that deepening intuition of sinking in and knowing your own body and knowing what works on an individual level. There is no one size fits all stamp for anyone. And okay, looking back at the bacteria landscape. So we've got this wetlands situation going on in our gut. (laughs) I heard you say once that our bodies are actually comprised of more bacteria than cells. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, that blows my mind. Yeah. <laughs> there are roughly 30 trillion human cells in any body. And there are roughly 40 trillion bacterial cells living on us. So we are actually more bacteria than we are body. Wow. Yes. And this bacteria is communicating with our environment. It's communicating with us. It's communicating with the very soil that actually grows our feel, our, our food. It's just, it's, it's so interesting to me when I finally made that connection that we're nourishing ourselves with the same bacteria that's actually in our gut that is used to grow our food. And it's all, it's just, (laughs) that is, it's in our soil and it's in us. Right. So then if we go back and look at it through that lens of if you're living and eating in your same, you know, your same 20 square miles, especially like even on an ancient landscape, right? If you're living and eating in that, then truly as a species, you evolve in your own way, right? You get these pockets then of bacterial evolution and is there any connection between science and figuring out how these pockets then are good to interact with each other or can they be bad if they interact with each other as far as the where we grow the food or well like if our we were talking about if we go on a trip and we experience a new food that our bacteria is like, no, thank you. But there are, I've no, I've heard reports that there are people who are literally taking a pill with bacteria in it 
from someone else's gut in order to reset their own gut. Yes. So are we finding patterns and pockets of bacteria that are better, therefore, than others? Like this, mm-hmm. this society and this culture living the Mediterranean diet has got it figured out versus, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Southern California. Like, is there a difference? Is there not that there's a one size fits all, but is there something that's better versus not better? Mm. That's a great question. And we are still just really starting to explore what this all means. And we're just starting to really understand, you know, the unique varieties of bacteria and what they do for us and, you know, and how the balance plays out. Right. And so one of the things that has been found really helpful in any sort of bacterial landscape are the types of spices that we consume. Mm -hmm. And so if there was any type of takeaway from maybe eating from another culture or region than our own, that would be, it would be the spices that we consume. And so, and some of this knowledge is rooted in Ayurveda, um, which is, it's a more spiritual medical practice, so to speak. And it's rooted in generations of Indian um, culture. And it's our link to, so basically it's the link of the energy and consciousness of the entire universe within us. Mm -hmm. And it's home lives in our gut. Right. And there are so many different types of spices in Ayurvedic um, mealtime and depending on the seasonality, depending on your specific, what's called dosha. So your specific type of combination within you of consciousness and elements and um, to some extent, the bacteria as well. And so when we think about the types of spices that we eat, that can have a very different effect on our metabolic processes, like our metabolism and, or potentially what types of metabolic um, injury or disease that we might be prone to. Hmm. And so, you know, some of the spices that, that, you know, one of them, the big one, the big one is turmeric for sure, because it's so anti-inflammatory and it sort of, it acts as a reset for our gut bacteria. It acts as a, it acts as like an opening door, um, to balance as well as your ability to try other types of foods without kind of upsetting the balance. Right. So if you are traveling, it's a great spice to take with you and to take before a meal or after a meal. Hmm. And, um, and so you'll see this in other cultures as well, where they'll, they'll have, you know, a certain spice that's more prevalent in their food. And, you know, it might just be because of the taste and the culture that they've created, but it really is something that will help introduce and balance your very gut and your very consciousness. Okay, so spices, so getting more experimental in our spices, getting more variety helps to aid the gut bacteria? It does. And then getting what your body needs. So if you're noticing that you're having more allergies or, you know, you're noticing that you're feeling very swollen or it's your time of month that you're, you know, feeling like you're really craving certain types of foods or you're having some kind of a... And again, this just, just gets back to like tuning into what's happening, Mm -hmm. um, also seasonally as well. There might be certain, you know, spices that you would want to integrate more into your diet and turmeric again, I, you know, I just love turmeric. It's one of my favorites, but it's also very, if you're having trouble with insomnia, it is one of the most important 
um, spices to bring into your bedtime routine, just a little bit of turmeric in your milk of choice or your hot water just to have before you fall asleep is just, it's really going to kind of settle those chemical messengers within your body that kind of just tell you, okay, it's time to start preparing and, and, and putting your body to sleep and then keeping you asleep as well. Yeah. Wow. Well, I've always thought it's interesting to eat even just seasonally, right? When we get into the fall and winter and we crave those root vegetables and yeah. nutmeg and cinnamon and yes. things that just feel more grounded and of the earth versus in the spring when we're ready for asparagus and baby greens and everything to be just a little lighter. Um, yes. That has been a big transformation, I think. Hopefully, it, it seems to be taking root in culture in some ways, right? We see more seasonal menus and things coming out. But even listening to the makeup of your doshas, which can even be looked at like on an elemental plane. So when I do an astrology reading, I like to look at someone's element composition. Are you high in fire? Are you high in water? Are you high in air or earth? And so if you're someone who is maybe low in the element of earth, bringing in more beets, bringing in more carrots and potatoes and things to ground you is really important where I tend to have, although I'm an earth sign, I run very fire based, right? I have a lot of this ignition source in me and I do honestly suffer from heartburn and indigestion because I tend to eat things that are spicy and on the go <laughs> and things that, you know, I'm too busy doing all these other things I want to do and enjoy and think about that food I sometimes put off. It's like the last minute at the end of the day. Oh yeah, I should eat before I go to bed. And so I think even dipping into your spiritual and your elemental compound, your dosha compound, however you want to get to discovering that makeup of your, your soul, right? Because it's living in this body, but you come in with this programming. If you can understand just that basic piece, it's a huge step in the right direction to tapping into that intuition that your gut is giving you. I love that. I love that so much because ah, there's so much here, but so the very, so Ayurveda is based upon the elements, right? And so mm -hmm. that's so linked to what you were just speaking about and, and specifically your digestive processes. There's a fire called a knee and that is your digestive fire and it's related to your dosha, right? And some people have their fire turned up just a little bit more and have to balance it. Kind of like what you described with heartburn is, is the key, you know, that is the key symbol of your knee being a little bit too, you know, too fiery. Right. Right. This culture we're living in right now, there are so many ways to turn that fire off with, you know, different types of medicines and, and, you know, yes. sometimes you need them. However, you know, we have a tendency in this culture to really be overusing those and really turning out that fuel and that processes that's happening for a reason as well. Right. Right. And so I just suggest that, you know, when we start to notice these heartburn processes, again, it's going back to, well, what did we have earlier that kind of led us to that? What were the combinations of food? What's our stress level like? Because mm -hmm. just like our gut tells us and informs our mood, our mood also informs our gut. And um, so much of the that ani just kind of being a little bit too overbearing in a heartburn situation 
Um, so much of that is related to just your consciousness kind of crying out to say, I need something else. I need to be held. I need to be listened to. I need to be, um, I need some breath, you know, I need some air to kind of turn it down a little bit, you know? Right. Right. And, um, or maybe even some water, just, you know, really having like a sacred water process where you just really mindfully drink your water and hydrate yourself and just really kind of take a moment to, to sit with that and turn that little, that fire level down a little bit. Um, it's, and I, and I, and I wonder, Emily, just what, with what your practices, just how that relates to, um, other planets as well, because, you know, we're learning more and more about microbiology on other planets. Ah, this makes me so excited. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. And some of this microbiology we're just starting to uncover on other planets, specifically Venus and Mars, we are seeing in guts as well. That Okay. The bacteria we're seeing on Venus and Mars, we have in our own guts. Well, what we're finding out is so just as an example, so the phosphine we noticed on Venus two years ago, which is a natural processy. So, okay. Venus is a very gassy planet, right? Right. Um, and phosphine is only really a byproduct that we know of from some kind of nutrient breakdown process, which is similar to what happens in our gut. And it's also the same gas that's found in poop. <laughs> So it would lead you to think then that something is essentially being digested in a way on Venus, right? Something is breaking yes. down. Yes. Oh my gosh. And on Mars, they're finding, you know, more and more that there's a potential home for microbes deep underground, deep under the Mars surface. And so we're just starting to uncover that. And they were doing some research on what kinds of bacteria could potentially survive on Mars. Now we're sending rovers over there, that kind of thing. And they actually took some, some Petri dishes to see what kind of bacteria would grow over there. And one of them is a bacteria that's found in deep sea brine. So it's found in their guts. It's found in the very guts and it's living, it's able to survive on Mars. And so if it's there and it's able to survive, is there more of it? And then what does that mean when you do the type of work that you do? in which our planets are basically guiding us and telling us. And I mean, I, my mind is just blown when I think about this. Like, Wow. Because there's, yes, the planets influence us every day in so many ways and have essentially, as long as we've been able to pay attention to them in the sky, right? As long as we were, it, the first time we observed them moving and how they affected the seasons and how they affected patterns in our societies and relationships and all of these things come about. And it's so interesting to me because we've talked a lot in the last couple of years about this idea of moving into the age of Aquarius and how when you look back through history, about every 2000 years, we've shifted into a new age, essentially. And so we are transiting out of what we've had the age of Pisces, which was very spiritually based, very Christian based, very um, kind of looking at ideals and what we believe in and 
okay, so we've done this for 2000 years. Well, the 2000 years before that was Aries, which was fire. And we literally had, you know, the invention of tools and the bronze age and so many things. So if you, if you look at our evolution in that way, and we're moving into this idea of the age of Aquarius, we are really, really sinking into the idea of what is our purpose here, but how how are we all interconnected and how can we bring forward the best version of ourselves to our highest potential so that we can operate in such a beautiful way that we support and inspire each other and we move towards the future and our highest potential right our highest versions of ourselves and so if we're talking about that even from just a gut aspect realizing that not only are we all built out of the same materials, but that our gut bacteria is now the root of everything in the universe. I mean, it doesn't get any more Aquarius than that. (laughs) 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 I, I just am fascinated. The more I lean into science and into the discovery of what we think we know about the human body and yet what we're still uncovering and discovering constantly it's amazing because we a lot of times we'll think well we've got it figured out we did that we got it there's so (laughs) many pieces yet that we don't know and Mm -hmm. if just the potential that we know now that we can have two cells that um, can be can have the same information. And if you move them into different places or even onto different timelines and affect one cell, it will affect the other cell. So if cells can do that, at what level can bacteria then communicate with each other on different timelines and on in different people, in different environments? There's so much energy happening around us constantly that we we have no idea about. Right. Right. And how the balance of that very bacteria changes us as well. I mean, it's just so, it's so profound when you think about it and how, you know, how many different roads we can go down. And I love this about astrology as well, because it's not, it challenges us at times, right? Just like our guts challenge us at times. And just like the stories that we, that we tell ourselves challenge us at times. Right. And then there's other times where it works so beautifully and balanced and is just perfect in what it is. And I mean, I would argue that it's obviously more perfect than, you know, than the latter and, um, then the challenge part, but the challenge part is just there to remind us that we're alive and that we have this incredibly alive body of that's so much more than our skin, our bones, our brain, you know, just this vast environment. And so when you think about that, and when you think about how much our body can tell us, then you start to think about, well, the connections between the planets and how much the planets can tell us, it just seems so logical to me. Right. Uh, They've, I listened to a movie over the weekend um, about end of life, and they were talking about consciousness and that we know now when the brain ceases to operate, that consciousness can still be measured within in the brain, deeply inside the brain. And so if consciousness is still alive and our 
at what point does our bacteria then does it die at the same time like what's the timeline with bacteria in our bodies and as we decompose and change form yeah so this is so fascinating so when we really when we know the dying process is imminent when we know that it's really starting to happen is when we start to lose this desire for food and in fact it becomes and and hopefully you know, this is helpful for people who know other people that loved ones that are going through the dying process that they feel like if you just feed them, you know, they they're hungry and they struggle with that. They struggle with that internal need to feed somebody, but actually when the dying process starts to happen and when people start to lose their craving and their ability to eat, it's actually harmful at that point to start feeding them because they're, they're going through all these metabolic processes within their body that, that are just needing to needing to transform. And what happens to the bacteria is the bacteria starts to kind of leach out into the circulatory system. So when we're alive, yeah. So when we're alive, you know, it's kind of maintained in our gut and our gut's a very good home for it and kind of keeps it, you know, in, 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 it contained in where it needs to be. You know, there are times where bacteria does get into our circulatory system when we're alive and that that's a medical, you know, we need to get medical help for that. Right. And when we're dying, it, the bacteria actually starts to spread throughout our body, throughout our system, throughout our organs. And it starts to just basically take back over your entire body, mm-hmm. just like a composting, you know, fruit peel. If you take an orange peel and you watch it decompose over time, it's, it's a similar process that's happening to that, that fruit peel. So you're basically becoming back. You're really getting back to your bacteria roots. And what's fascinating about this as well is they can actually use it. If there's a murder case um, or something, an unsolved mystery that they're trying to figure out, they can actually look and see where the bacteria is in the body and they can determine a time of death and even maybe a location of death based on the bacterial composition, um, of the person who's passed. Wow. Wow. Well, this blows my mind. Every time I talk to you about science and health and woo, I just, I come away with more questions, but I'm also so excited by it because I think as women and as you know we we wake up to our potential and understanding that the only person you need to take care of right is yourself first you have to understand your own operating system and we are in this constant balance of understanding the soul that we are and the dna that we are now incarnating and it's this balance between those two and so we can dive way too far into the spiritual and into the subconscious and exploring astral realms. But it doesn't do us a bit of good if this vessel that we're living in isn't also cared for. And so that's the fine line, walking that balance and knowing that you can still explore the woo in your own body to to feel that grounded presence in this skin suit that we're wearing right but to understand that you can listen to it and you can treat it with respect and it is worthy of your time and your exploration yes absolutely (sighs) that was oh gosh and that was such a big message in when i had my near-death experience it was that the truth is in the body 
And mm. not only did I get all these profound truths about what happens to us after we die in our consciousness and the love that we experience, but we have this time on earth. We have the truth in our body and we can, we're just barely scratching the surface of what we know about our bodies. We're really good about, you know, medical emergencies, those types of things and triaging our bodies, but we're just starting to really understand what our body wisdom truly is and what it's here to tell us about life itself and how it connects us to others, how it connects us to our environment, how it connects us to the planets and your, you know, your line of work. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Get back there. Yeah. Get back there. Talk to your body. Talk to your body. Tell me, tell me me everything. Boy, sometimes I wish I had a, a cheat system to talk to it. Just what do I want for dinner? Just tell me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh Melinda, this was an absolute delight as always. And thank you. Thank you for helping all of us sink into and give ourselves permission to explore what we, what our own bodies need. I think sometimes we just need the permission that it's okay and that we aren't meant to live in such a strict societal confound. You know, we have the opportunity to do so much more. And your insights from this side and the other side are so deeply appreciated. Thank you for taking the time to share them with us. And I hope you'll come back again. I would love to. I just love this conversation. There's so much to uncover. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, well, if anybody has any questions or comments, we would certainly love to continue this conversation online. So how can people reach you, Melinda? How can they find you? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram at Scarlet We Shine. So S-C-A-R-L-I-T-W-E-S-H-I-N-E. And uh, my website is scarletcoaching.com, S-C-A-R-L-I-T coaching.com. And I am also available through Emily as well. You can reach me through her and, um, and tell everybody about the exciting offering you have coming up. Yes. So starting in mid February and ending just before the spring equinox is scar mapping life unlocked. And it is a mixture of workshops, group coaching, and organ specific energy healing, including the gut, the gut will be in there as well. And it's really just, it's answering that question about what does it mean when, what does it mean when we actually answer that question? What is our gut trying to tell us? What does that mean for us? And then how can we use that to create a more intuition led life, or maybe write that book that you've been waiting to write or create a brand around something that you've triumphed over any of those opportunities are are well suited for scar mapping life unlocked. And um, you can find that on our website or through our Instagram as well. So that's so exciting. And I just have to say, I'm going to help teach a little bitty tiny piece of it. And I'm so excited to be a part of it, but it's, it's transformational. I think the lives you're going to touch and change with this program, Melinda, are going to be outstanding. I'm so excited to see you soar. So thank you everyone for joining us today. And like I said, you can find both of us on Instagram and I'll put links in the show notes and we look forward to seeing you all next time. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Things That Make You Go Woo. 
you can help me out by leaving a positive rating and a review wherever you downloaded this episode. Be sure and follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Emily and Her Stars. You can also reach out via email anytime, emilyandherstars at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time on Things That Make You Go Woo.